Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Six chapters now, 56 uh, songs here in God's inspired hymnal. We've seen uh, the vast majority of them have as their central theme, maybe even an outline, how we move from fear to faith. You probably, I don't know if you noticed, but we changed that up a little bit tonight. Um, It's not that big of a difference. It's a little difference. Um, And those are important things. That's why he has us go over it so much, because we need it. We desperately need it for living a victorious Christian life to the glory of God and for our good. We've learned over and over again that we move from fear to faith, first of all, by altering our focus from uh, our fears, our feelings, uh, maybe even the facts that are causing our fears and our feelings, to the facts that God has revealed about himself in his word, who God is and what God has done in the past, what God's promised to do. When we do this, when you, when you take that first step and starting to alter your focus, you're already uh, ascending, you're already rising on that trajectory out of fear and to faith. There's been a few exceptions, um, a few songs with a different message or application, but Psalm 57 is not one of them. But it does stress maybe a little more differently or clearly what the end state of faith should look like in our lives. And it's this, a life of faith It's supposed to be a life of praise. A life of faith should be a life of worship. So let's look at the superscript there, that little, usually it's smaller font right under uh, the psalm uh, number before you get into the main body. It says, to the chief musician, that's something we've seen before, means for the worship leader. So this is a song that is designed to be sung in corporate worship. Um, Then it says, Alta Skiff. That's the first time we've seen that. And altaskith uh, means do not destroy. It's probably a tune. Like it was a tune to another song, and they put new words to it. We do that with worship songs here sometimes. And um, then it says uh, a mictum, a mictum. This is, uh, I think, the third one we've seen. We're actually in a series of mictums. Up Next upcoming psalms are also those. We don't know what it means, like why it's there. We do know what it means. In Hebrew, it means to cover. So it's probably got something to do with what this song is talking about. Uh, the context of it. And then we get the historical context. It's of David. David's the human author. God inspired to write it. And it's when he fled from Saul and David is in a cave here. There's two, actually two instances that happened. In 1 Samuel 22, he was in the cave at Adullam. In 1 Samuel 24, he's in a different cave, one at a place called Engedi. Both of them were places of fear. They're places of worry. So let's learn how to move from worry to worship tonight. Let's read Psalm 57. Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God the Most High, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. 
My soul is among lions, and I lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue is a sharp sword. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. They've prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me, into the midst whereof they are fallen themselves. Selah. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Awake up, my glory. Awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I'll sing unto thee among the nations. For thy mercy is great unto the heavens, and thy truth unto the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we study this together tonight, uh, one more example of how you want us to leave places of fear or worry and ascend to a place of faith, a place of worship. It's not only good for us, but it's glorifying to you. And you give us one more example here tonight of how you want us to do that. So I pray that you'd illuminate the truth of your word here to each and every person that's here tonight or watching on live stream, that we would leave here different than when we came here, encouraged, faith-fueled, recharged. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verses 1 through 5. David is given a cry for protection. Verse 1 speaks of the presence of God. David's in a place of fear. He's in a place of worry, and he cries out to God. He's asking that God would show him his mercy. Now, it's interesting here when he says, be merciful, be merciful twice. It's not the typical word for mercy that we find in the Psalms, not in Hebrew. Uh, often that, that's the one chesed. We've mentioned it before. It means God's covenant love. Sometimes in different translation, it might be loving kindness or a steadfast love. This one uh, is not the word. It's konan, and it means to be shown favor or to be shown grace. And we know that they're kind of different. Mercy is you and I not getting what we do deserve. Grace is you and I getting what we don't deserve. Uh, really, I mean, they're pretty much two sides of the same coin, especially with this one here where, where merciful could actually be translated to be shown grace or shown favor. And this is what David is pleading for God to show him in this prayer. He's saying, God, I need this right now in my cave, in my place of faith, uh, fear and worry. Now notice the next phrase. For my soul trusteth in thee. See, you and I, we don't deserve mercy and grace. I mean, that's kind of the whole idea underpinning both of those concepts. They're undeserved. But praise the Lord, we do have access <laughs> to both God's mercy and his grace. Why? How, how could we be so sure? How can we access them? Right there what David says, for my soul trusts in thee. So God's mercy, God's grace, they are only ours one way. This is God's design. Salvation, he gets to design how it uh, happens, how it works. And so it only happens one way, by faith alone. It's by trusting in God alone specifically and trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross on our behalf, in our place. That's the one singular exclusive conduit by which you and I tap into God's mercy and grace. It's only by God's mercy and grace to us in Jesus Christ. It's only by trusting in who he is for us in Jesus Christ that we can actually experience this sense of protection that David's longing for. A sense of protection that comes from God's presence with us and in us. And so David, in his prayer here, David is saying, in the shadow of your wings, I will, he's making a choice, I'm going to make my refuge in the shadow of your wings until these calamities be overpassed. 
Now, I don't want to veer off too much away from this, but don't take from that that as soon as the calamities are overpassed, you should leave the shadow of his wings. He's not saying that there. No, stay put. That's where you belong, 24-7. That's a good place to be, isn't it? Under the shadow of God's wings? It's a good place to be. Even if your current environment is a cave, even if you're currently running for your life like David is here, that's why he's in the cave. He wasn't going camping. Uh, It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter um, wherever you are. When you're in the shadow of his wings, that's the best place to be. And verses throughout the Old Testament talk about this, about how God would, um, would protect his people Israel, kind of like a mother hen does. You know any of those? Even Jesus. Jesus called, uh, he recalled some of those. Uh, Matthew 23, 37, Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, <laughs> Jerusalem, he's crying out, You who kill the prophets and you stone those that I've sent to you. Man, how often I've longed to gather you under my wings as a hen gathers her chicks. But you weren't willing. You weren't willing. Jesus says, This is who God wants to be for you. I want to be present. And I want to protect you. You won't stay put. You won't stay put. There's a, now, there is another possible metaphor that David's talking about here. I think it's equally valid um, with this whole picture of protection under God's wings. It might be birds. It might be. But what else in the Bible has wings? Angels, right? Angels, seraphim. We, I mean, we heard about that last week. Now, you remember the Ark of the Covenant? That's described in the Old Testament. What was on top of this very powerful, visible display of God's protection and presence for his people? What was on the top of that? Two angels, right? With wings that join, meet in the middle. And what was underneath that? An area called the mercy seat. The mercy seat. That's that that's the area. The Old Testament priest, he would take the blood of what it was sacrificed that pictured the coming atonement of Jesus Christ. That blood didn't save it, uh, anybody from their sins, but their faith in what it represented coming later did. And he would, he would sprinkle that area. It was the mercy seat. That's where atonement was made by God's grace and through their faith in it. Um, man, that underwing area is a beautiful picture. Either way, whether the metaphor is about birds, whether it's avian, whether it's about the Ark of the Covenant, that's such an encouraging thing when we, when we look into verse 1 and not just run through it, that under the shadow of his wings, David's saying, I want to be in your presence. I want to experience your presence because that's where my protection is. And I need some protection right now. I want to find out why here in just a, a moment. So then David, verses 2 to 3, he cries out in this prayer of protection for the performance of God. When we are assured that God is present, and his protection is, is over us. Well, then we can begin to recognize, we can begin to identify his performance in our lives. That, that God is at work. That God is active in our lives. Uh, we learned that in our last song. I know it was about two weeks ago, Psalm 56. That God is for us. He is active. He is present. Look at verse 2. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. So here in verse 2, David continues his prayer, his cry for protection by recognizing that it's God who performeth all, all things for me. He is present. He is active. What about in your life? Did you wake up this morning? That was God. Like, no, it was the alarm or it was my wife. No, it was God. If you woke up this morning, it was God. Um, is your heart been beating today? I'm assuming because you were here. Have you been breathing? God. 
Did you drive here safely tonight? God, you might say, well, those are all, no, those are nervous, involuntary actions. I know I got science, scientists and nurses and things in the room. I mean, yeah, they, they are, but, it, but it's God who created you. It's God who fearfully and wonderfully made you. It's the God who's sustaining that heartbeat and giving you breath in your lungs. He, he does truly perform all things for me. Why that's important is because if in his sovereign omnipotence and goodness, he does all of that for you, things we don't even think about. We just go, I don't think about my heart beating until I ran a little bit and can feel it. I don't think about my heart beating until I drink a Red Bull or something I shouldn't do and can feel my heart beating. Um, but he does all this 24-7, 365 days a year. Well, then don't you understand and won't you believe that he's present and acting for you in your cave? I mean, he can take care of all that. He's, he's there in the cave with you too. What, what's your cave? What's your cave tonight? You might have just come out of one. Or you might be in one. Or you might be running to one. I mean, David did at least two times. Can I tell you something? God is in your cave. He's there. He's present in your cave. And what he wants you to know tonight, not only is he present, but he's active. He's performing. For you. Now, you might not notice it. You might want him to act a little more quickly, but he is. Know this, that the shadow shelter of his wings is a lot more protective than that cave anyway. It's all right to be in the cave. The shelter of his wings is really where your protection is. It's not, it's not in that cave. So place yourself there, just like David does. He says, I'm going to put myself under the shadow of your wings. Now, David's already there. He's just putting it in his head what is a reality where he is positionally by God's grace through faith. We need to do that too. And we need to realize that we have a God who performeth all things for us. David can pray with confidence for protection and for God's performance. Uh, he can put his faith in God in, in whom my soul trusts because he knows who God is. David know who God was when he was in that cave? I don't know how long it was before, but I mean, he had faced a giant, right? And Saul said, I can't send you out there. And what did David tell him? My God will take care of me. He delivered me from the mouth of a lion. Delivered me from the paw of a bear. He'll, he'll deliver me here from this big country fella. I'm not worried about it. And David knew who his God was. He knew what God had done in the past. And that's what's given him faith to write this song, even in his cave. And encouraging and empowering to, to look at verse 3. He shall send from heaven. He shall save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. He shall send from heaven. Man, that's encouraging to me to know that I have access to heaven. You and I have access to the throne of the almighty, omnipotent, sovereign God. Uh, Lord of hosts is what King James calls him. I like some of the new translations. They say he's the Lord of heaven's armies. That's what it means. You have access to the Lord of heaven's armies. He will send from heaven, it says. He'll save me. And David says, Siva. He says, Siva. That means we better pause. Pause here and meditate on everything we've just said. And I, I want to actually do that right now. Like 30 seconds. I'm going to give you 30 seconds here where I don't talk. I know that's going to be a miracle. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. I want you to think of when God did this. That's what David's doing here. Think of when God came through for you. And if you can't, think about when he came through for somebody you know or somebody you know in Scripture.
Can he handle it? Didn't he do it then? Maybe you had a hard time. I've been there. I think David did at times. That's why he's telling us to do this so many times in the song, uh, in the Psalms. Maybe you struggled to come up with one. And that's why at the end of verse 3, God cuts to the chase. He's like, here you go. When you can't think of anything. Because <laughs> fear's in your face. And the threat's coming at you. And you don't know. Like, I, I, I'm in the cave, but maybe that was not a best choice. Because there's one way in, one way out. And they're coming after me. Um, so God cuts to the chase. He gives us the greatest example of when God came through for us. When he sent from heaven and delivered us. The, the most monumental example of the reality that God is present and he is performing for us. He says, I will send forth, God will send forth his mercy and truth. Who is he talking about there? He's talking about Jesus. I mean, see, for David, this was something upcoming. He knew there was a promised Messiah. He knew it would be one of his descendants according to God's covenant promise to David. Um, for us, we look back. It's something that's already happened. The Messiah has come. Jesus Christ has come. Atonement's been made. David looks forward. We look back. That's when God sent forth his mercy and truth. Psalm 8510 talks about that. One of my favorite verses in the Psalms. It's one of my favorite Christmas verses. Psalm 8510 says, Mercy and truth are met together. Talking about Jesus. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Talking about Jesus. God's mercy. Christ coming to save us. Undeserving rebels. From our sins and God's truth. He's holy. He's just. He can't just forgive sin. It has to be paid for. Jesus paid for it. Mercy and truth met together in Jesus Christ. Righteousness, the same thing. He's holy. His holiness demands justice be done. And peace, what Jesus Christ offers us with God and with each other. They, they didn't just meet. It says that they kissed. That's who God is for us in Jesus Christ. And so when we're in a cave and we can't think of when you have sent from heaven before and I need my faith fueled, God gives us this nugget here to go, you always have the cross of Jesus Christ. You always have that to look to, to remember that I'm for you and that I'm present. I actually came to be present with you, Emmanuel, God with us. And I died on the cross for your sins. I'm for you. Could I? That's the greatest performance he did for us. Listen, when we're in a cave, when we struggle to believe that God is present, that he is a God who performs for us, will you grab hold of him sending forth Jesus Christ to be present, sending forth mercy and truth? Grab a hold of the cross of Christ, the most monumental evidence that what we've read so far, that he's present, he's performing for us. Then verse 5, verse 4, let's go to verse 4. My soul is among lions. And I lie even among them that are set on fire. Even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. We want to see the purpose of God here in verses 4 and 5. In verse 4, it's talking about the threats that David had. This is why he's in the cave. Because there's people that are like he's describing here that are pursuing him, trying to kill him. And the threat to David was real, wasn't it? This isn't something made up or he's being paranoid. It was real. It's, it's a fact as much as any of the facts we just talked about God. It's real. That's a fact. The cave is real. The lions. I mean, they're a metaphor for bad, evil people coming after him. But they're real. His enemies, he describes them here as those that are set on fire. They got teeth like spears and arrows. They're, they're real. All of these are real. But David's got a choice here. David's got a choice as he moves from four to five. And we've got the same choice. David can stay focused 
on these very real threats. He can stay focused on what's causing his fear and his worry. He can give them glory because that's what we actually do when we stay focused on them. We're glorifying what's consuming our mind. He can remain paralyzed by fear or worry, or he can alter his focus like he's taught us so many times before. He can alter his focus to the facts about his father, facts about God. He can choose to strip the glory that he might give to fear and worry and crown God with the glory that God deserves. He's going to do that through faith and worship. That's why we do it. The choice is the same for us as well. In verse 5, David decides that, makes his decision. He decides for God to get the glory. He says, be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. He's like, I'm not going to give glory to my fear and worry or the circumstances causing that. I'm going to crown you alone with the glory you deserve because of your presence, because of your performance for me, and, and most of all, because of your purpose. Because of your purpose. You understand that the purpose of God is God's glory? It's kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around because that's not how we're supposed to be, right? We should not be about our glory. But God should be. He is. And I'm very thankful that he is. Do you know why? It's because he's about his glory that he loves us. It's because he's about his glory that he's gracious to us. Every character quality that you can think of about God is because he is all about his glory. If, if God were about anything else, then that thing would be greater than him. That thing would be more glorious than he is. It would be God. But it's not, and I'm so glad it's not. I'm glad God is all about his glory. I'm glad the purpose of God is that he be glorified. And so our prayer should be kind of what David's praying here in verses 1 through 5. God, help us to strip glory from anything that we might give it to. Fear, worry, crown you alone with the glory you deserve. God, help us never veil your glory by uh, giving it to fear or worry. But what we should do is what verse 5 talks about we should reflect it all over the earth. That's what he wants us to do in, in what we choose to glorify. You're going to glorify something. Everybody in the world glorifies something. Will you choose to glorify the one who deserves it? The one who's worthy of it, like we just sang a minute ago? And this choice is so critical in our moving from fear to faith, from worry to worship. There's a choice for praise here that David makes uh, in, in verse, verses 6 through 11. Starting in verse 6. Let's see the place of worship. I really love this verse. I'm so glad for verse 6. So they have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me into the midst whereof they are fallen themselves. Selah. And when we first read this, like David really kind of, like you could have wrapped it up in verse 5. Because it was pretty powerful. So why are you going talking about those who are against you again? Because we've seen David do this before. And I'm glad he does there too in those Psalms. Because sometimes we do that. Like we rise to faith. And then something happens and we're back down here. And we need to learn that. Even a man after God's own heart does that. That's not what he's doing here. He's showing, something, showing us something really important. Incredibly important um, for us fulfilling our purpose. What is our purpose? If God's all about his glory, what is our purpose? Glorify God. <laughs> I mean, I remember learning that in, in grade school, in Christian school, in catechism. When Tommy and I, when Dr. White was here and we were in between pastors, we were getting trained at a, uh, by state convention uh, fellow about uh, 
you know, church leadership and things. And he said how important it is to uh, have a, a purpose and a mission and a vision for your church because it's going to help guide your church, you know, to decide what it wants to do or what should it do. Or, you know what, that's a great idea, but that's really not what we're about, at least not right now. We can, we can put it over here and, and we'll get to it maybe. But, I mean, it's just this awesome thing that keeps us going where God wants us to. So we had to develop a purpose, mission, and vision for our church. And so we did. And for purpose, we came up with our purposes to just what you said, glorify God and enjoy him for it. We stole it from the Westminster Catechism, which stole it from the Bible. Now, somebody asked us, I think one time, well, who decided that? That that's the purpose of Dublin First Baptist Church? Fair question. Fair question. Um, because me and Tommy shouldn't necessarily decide that, even though we're pastors, what the purpose of our church is. Who decided it is God. It's in his word. That, this is the purpose of, of every Christian. So combine them. That's the purpose of a combined Christian a group, the church, is to glorify God and, and enjoy him forever. That's our purpose in life. Psalm 1611, right here, this, this entire psalm is talking about that. Um, it's not a choice that me and Tommy had to manufacture. We just went to the word of God. We figured that's a pretty safe bet. Go to God's word to decide what God wants the church to do. And that's what we did. That's our purpose, to glorify God. You, I'm so glad. When I just asked that question a minute ago, I saw mouths moving all over here. You, you weren't loud, but you were saying the right thing. That's what we are supposed to do, glorify God. Now, here's where this comes into Psalm 57. Why David writes verse 6. After he goes way up there in verse 5, like he could have finished, the, could have just made a short psalm. Why does he go back here? Verse 6. Because you don't wait to glorify God till after deliverance. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't wait to glorify God until after his deliverance. That's not faith. It might be thanks. That's so good. You should express thanks to God. It might be gratitude. Again, you should be grateful to God. But faith worships in a cave. Faith worships in the cave. That's why David's given us here verse 6. He's going back, talking about the threat that's still there. Now, he does say at the end of it, uh, he knows what God's going to do. <laughs> yeah, they dug a pit. They're going to fall into it themselves. So the threat is still present in verse 6, but who else is present? God. David's already gone over that. God's present. Uh, David's enemies are still performing, I and mean, they're still trying to kill him. But who else is at work for David? God. God's still there. He always is. So David gives us an example here on what to do in this situation, how to make sure our focus is, is fixed so it won't retreat back to fear and worry like he's even done sometimes and like we do sometimes, but it will remain in what he's chosen. He's chosen faith. He's chosen worship here. Now look at verse 7. This is a good one here. My heart is fixed. I'm not going back. I'm not waffling. My heart's fixed, oh God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Man, I think it'd be good for us to start every day with that verse, wouldn't it? You wake up, alarm goes off, or your wife wakes you up, your husband wakes you up, and the coffee wakes you up, something. But start each day with that verse. Maybe carry it on a card with you throughout the day. Put it as your lock screen. Send it to each other. You can send it to me. I probably need it. I'll probably need it tomorrow. My heart is fixed, oh God. My heart is fixed. I'll sing and give praise. Why? Because threats are still going to come. Enemies will still make themselves known. 
pits will still be dug, you're going to find yourself in a cave again. And what will you do? What will you choose? Will your heart be fixed? Will you choose to sing and give praise wherever you are? Well, we need to because wherever we are is the presence or the place of worship. It's not here necessarily in church. It is here. It's not the only place wherever you are. Even the cave is the place, the presence of worship. Then David talks about the performance of worship in verses 8 through 10. Uh, so here's the way to start the day. Verse 8, oh, wake up. See, stay and wake up. Wake up, my glory. When he says glory, that's a Hebrew word, havad. It means something heavy, <laughs> something weighty. So what it's to imply is that this is of utmost importance, something you should get to right away first thing in the day. Even more important than me turning off the, turn on the coffee pot. This is number one. Wake up, my glory. What am I to do? Sing and give praise. Awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. Alarm's gone off. Now it's time to choose what we're going to glorify today, what we're going to worship. David even gives us some examples of what God enjoys in worship. Um, music. He wants music, so that's why we do music here. Uh, gives us a few instruments. I don't think we've got a psaltery or a harp, but we kind of got modern day equivalents, stringed instruments. God wants to be praised with music. And God wants to be praised early. He says it once more there at the end of verse 8. I myself will awake early. And it does mean early. It means early in the day. That's a struggle for me. I don't know if any of you would be in my same boat of testifying to that. For me, to, for me really to get into God's word, and I mean deep study and have an experience where uh, I'm, I'm gaining a whole lot. Um, look, I'm a night owl. I'm not an early bird. And so if I were going to go and do a bunch of Bible study, it probably needs to happen sometime after 9 a.m. Even talking to most people probably needs to happen after 9 a.m. But, but how would your day be different if you did this? How, how would my day be different? How would your choice to worship, should you find yourself woken up in a, in a cave or in a pit, how, how would your choice to worship be reinforced if you started each day living out verses 7 through 8? I mean, do something. I'm not telling you you need to have a, an hour-long Bible study like you would with the men or women's Bible studies we have here. But I mean, a, a devotional app? Five minutes, ten minutes? Now, you know, it ought to be more than that, hopefully, like you're me. That's what I do. Five-minute little devotional app in the morning, set my mind in the right place, listen to something on the way here, gets my mind, music, sermon, podcast, something. Later on at night, that's the time I usually choose to study God's word and spend a little more quality time in. But do something, do something and do it early. That's the point of verses 7 and 8. Verse 9 also gives us some direction in the performance of our worship. It says, I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I'll sing unto thee among the nations. All right, so um, yeah, we were to worship when we're alone in a cave, but God also wants to be worshiped in community. He wants to be worshiped corporately. And David declares here, I'll praise the Lord among the people. Who's that? That's you. That's here. This is what we come together to do. The people is referring to God's people, believers, Christians. We could make that equivalent uh, for, for our time. Uh, we're to praise God here in this beautiful body of Christ, the church, this community of faith. Uh, that's where God wants our worship as well. It's not an either or. It's a, it's a both and. He wants you to worship alone and he wants you to worship among his people. We ought not forsake the assembly of ourselves for worship. 
That's a clear principle in God's word. Pastor H.B. Charles down at Shiloh Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida said, if the church is the body of Christ, we need to realize that Christ does not have out-of-body experiences. You need to be attached to the creation of Christ, the community of faith, the bride of Christ, the church. You need to worship there. But God also wants his praise sung, and he wants our worship given to him among the nations. Now, he's not using synonyms here, just poetically uh, being descriptive and changing up words. That's, that's those who are not yet his people, the nations. So when you and I worship wherever we are, even if it's a cave, uh, when we're, we ought to worship at work. We ought to worship at a ball game. When our hearts are fixed on God, when when we're focusing on the facts that glorify him, when we praise him in public, it's a pretty powerful way to point people to Christ, isn't it? I mean, you can do this at church, but I'm, I'm guessing the vast majority of people here and people watching are believers. That's praising him among the people. But do you praise him among the nations? I mean, what would our Great Commission efforts look like if we did this? It's a pretty powerful way to make disciples. It is. Um, and here's why. Because they're going to see where our hope is and what we've chosen to give glory to. Because we live in a world that doesn't do that. They give glory to stuff. They give glory to fear. They give glory to worry. They give glory to sin and self and a bunch of other things. Caves, pits, enemies. But if they saw a Christian giving glory to where it's due, it's a pretty powerful witness. Now, I'm not talking about singing how great thou art at the break room and work. I mean, if God leads you to, go for it. Obey him. Um, what I'm talking about is what you talk about. That's what I'm talking about. Worshiping God among the nations. What you talk about. So, who gets the glory in your conversations? Is that work? Among friends? Who gets the glory? Is it fear? Is it worry? I mean, I got to be honest with you. Sometimes when I'm talking about things that are driving me nuts in this world, it could definitely take on that tone of fear and worry. Not wrong when we talk about them. We need to stand up against them. But make sure that people don't ever understand that we have fear or worry about them. We don't want to give them the glory. Or, or is it God? Is it God's presence? Is it God's performance for us? Are we testifying about what he's done, what he's going to do for us? Is that what's going to get the glory? Talking about what we post. Talking about what we post. What gets glory on social media pages? Is it us? Is it fear? Is it worry? Or is it his presence, his performance for us, his purpose, being glorified, being exalted above the earth? You see that worship's way bigger than music? Way bigger than music. Worship is for wherever and whenever and among whoever we find ourselves. That's what God's telling us here in Psalm 57. Then it goes to verse 10. For thy mercy is great unto the heavens and thy truth unto the clouds. Well, looky there. Mercy and truth once again. Because when you're still in the cave and it's still dark, and when you find yourself struggling like maybe we did before to fix our heart, to sing and give praise, David understands, God understands, and he gives us verse 10 to call us back to that monumental example that we have a reason to give praise for. That even on our darkest days, even when our soul is in despair, and when we're using every fiber of our being to try to locate, identify something, anything to be thankful for, to give God praise for, he gives us first 10 and says, the cross. He points us back to Calvary and points us forward 
to his coming. He's coming again. Do you know that the cross of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's our greatest resource to propel praise? It's an always there structure uh, to give us the will to worship wherever and whenever and among whoever. And then verse 11, the purpose of worship. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. And so David ends this choice for praise section the same exact way. He ended the cry for protection section earlier with the purpose of God and the purpose of our praise to God. That he might be exalted above the heaven, over all the earth, his glory. That his glory wouldn't be given by his people to fear or worry or the circumstances causing them. That God's glory wouldn't be transferred to our situations or to our storms, or to our caves, but that our cave would be actually a place for us to perform God's purpose for us. A place for us to glorify Him. A, our cave, a place for God to be exalted and magnified. God's glory shining out of that cave like a big searchlight or spotlight focus beam for everybody to see. Sometimes that's why God puts you in caves. So people can see His glory. And will you take advantage of the opportunity? You ever been in a cave? Who's been in a cave? Who doesn't like caves? Got a few. All right, claustrophobic people. I like them. Uh, Linville Caverns. I've been in a bunch, but that's my favorite. Tommy says, yeah. I mean, I've been in many all over the United States, but Linville Caverns, I thought that was the most beautiful one. Is that a good one? Appalachians got good caves. Do you know what caves often have? Okay. He's not wrong. Snakes sometimes. Snakes sometimes. But you know what? Caves have great acoustics. When we were in that cave, we sung. It was oh, some dumb song, Yankee Doodle. But you, it was pretty cool to hear. Caves got great acoustics. Music sounds really good in caves. Praise. Praise sounds really good in caves. It sounds good to God. Man, God's glorified when you can praise him when everything's going great. You praise him in a cave, ooh, it's a pleasing sound to his ear. Sounds good to us. Sounds really good to others who might be in caves too. So um, as we close, I don't, I don't feel led to go over all this. Again, I've done my best to make application and invite you to respond as we've gone through verse by verse. And this is our prayer. God help us worship wherever, whenever, in our cave, in our storm, because he's worthy of it, isn't he? Man, he's so worthy of it.